Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome. Thanks for coming out on this uh, Easter Sunday. My name is Paul Mumon. I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis. And uh, if you've got a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to take it and turn to John chapter 20. Uh, John chapter 20, uh, kids, I know we got a lot of kids in the room today. Uh, there are kids' Bibles around the room on the floor. If you want to follow along with us, it's John chapter 20, or if it's easier, uh, page 1,193. Parents, you can help them. Uh, adults, if you want to grab a Bible around the room, uh, you can do that. We've got a non-kids version as well. They're the same. They just look a little different. Uh, but if you want to turn to page 756, and I'll just say this too, that if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take that Bible with you today. Uh, we'd love for you to have one. If the one that you pick up is a little beat up, uh, go back to the info hub after the service. We've got newer copies back there. And again, we'd love to give you one uh, as you're going. You know, uh, I hope that it is blatantly clear to you that for all of us here at Genesis, the resurrection of Jesus is why we celebrate Easter. And uh, it's what is most important to us. And not just on an Easter Sunday like today, but all year long. Uh, but we also recognize that Easter is the time of the year so for so many other fun and uh, meaningful traditions. For some of you, you've probably already lived some of that out this morning. Like how many, how many of you had an Easter uh, basket this morning when you woke up? Maybe uh, in your living room or at the kitchen table or something. Adults maybe too. Or maybe you'll just steal out of your kid's uh, Easter basket all throughout the day and in the weeks to come. Uh, and so maybe that's your memory. Maybe it's uh, later on today. Maybe you're heading to Grandma and Grandpa's house and uh, you've got an Easter egg hunt uh, planned for the backyard, uh, or maybe that's something that you did yesterday, or maybe as a part of a community event. But uh, we also know that there is the timeless tradition of the beautiful Easter family photo, right? Where everybody dresses up in their best, you get your picture taken together. Um, but I gotta tell you, as I did some searching online this past week, there are some unusual and awkward family Easter photos out there, like this one right here of this family that I found, which uh, we're all about going casual here at Genesis, but uh, this might be pushing it a little bit uh, on a Sunday morning. Uh, and then there's this next family found this photo, and I'm pretty sure that mom is the only one that's enjoying this, right? She's the only one that thought this was the good idea, but uh, some of them get a little creative, like this family thought a live bunny would actually be best, uh, maybe for their daughter, but you can tell she's not real thrilled about it. And then this next boy, he's just finished, right? Uh, he, you know, stranger danger is what he's been taught, and so he wants nothing to do with this bunny. The, this next picture I think represents one of the scariest Easter bunny photos I've ever seen. Check this one out, right? That's awkward, but maybe not as awkward as this next one because I'm pretty sure this girl was one and done with Easter. This is 1983 and she has not observed it since. But uh, here's the thing, if you want to take an Easter bunny sort of photo uh, today, but maybe you don't have an Easter bunny mask lying around, you can make your own as seen in this next uh, picture. And if you look closely, it might take you a second, but any pair of whitey tidies lying around uh, will do as in the case for, for this photo. But I thought it'd be fun to show you one of mine as well, going back 30 to 35 years. Uh, there's yours truly future preacher and all there in a suit and tie with the mom and sisters. My dad got to take the picture so he doesn't have to appear in it. But uh, again, happy Easter to all of you. And I, I don't know what your uh, day looks like, but I, I'm just, we're so thankful that you spent some
some time with us uh, here this morning celebrating. We want you to know that you're welcome uh, with us every single weekend. And uh, we're here. We're here all the time. And we'd love the chance to get to know you a little bit better. But I also recognize, too, you know, we, we know we expect big crowds on an Easter weekend. And that means that uh, our rooms are full of a whole bunch of different people uh, with different walks in life. Uh, you come for different reasons. Uh, certainly for some of you here today, for many of you, uh, you're here because, well, the, the resurrection of Jesus is at the foundation of your life and in your faith, all right? And so uh, we're here to celebrate today. Uh, for others of you, maybe it's more special than it's ever been before uh, because maybe Christ has accomplished something in your life over the past year. He's healed you. He's rescued you. And so for all, it's just, it's brand new to you and, uh, and so exciting. But at the same time, I also want to just say that I understand that maybe, maybe for some of you, you're not as excited to be here today. I mean, if you, if you are honest, uh, you're here to keep the peace uh, in your family. Uh, maybe, maybe grandma told you, no church, no lunch, right? Maybe that was the deal, and so you're, you're here to get that lunch later on today. But uh, on a more serious note, I know that some of you are maybe in church for the first time, or the first time in a long time, uh, because you don't get it. Uh, you really don't understand, don't understand what it's all about. Maybe, maybe your story is this. Maybe you used to go to church a long time ago and then something happened. And uh, in fact, if we were to invite you up on the stage this morning and just give you some time to share your story, you might talk about what they said or what they did to you or what you, you know, found yourself kind of caught up in. And if you were to share your story, we might all go, wow, I, I get it. I I totally get why you walked away. I, I totally get why you wanted nothing at all to do with it anymore. But then for others of you, uh, maybe you've got no idea what you think about God uh, or spirituality or religion. And so you've been searching, you've been investigating for yourself. And uh, maybe you'd say, you know what, all I know is that there's something missing in my life. I'm just not sure uh, what that is. And so uh, maybe you've got no idea where your life is headed. In fact, if you had to put a label uh, on your life today, maybe up to this point, maybe you'd say, you know what, I think the perfect word that describes my life is disappointed, or the perfect word to describe my life is confused, or uh, searching, or uncertain, whatever it may be. Hey, here's, here's been my prayer for you this week, and, and I've prayed this each day in preparing for this morning. I hope today that no matter who you are, you might consider taking a fresh look at Jesus Christ. Uh, that you might consider taking a second look at, at Jesus and what uh, his life means and what he might do for you and what, well, just the difference that he could make. Because here's what I can't promise you, uh, that, that every church gets this right or even that every Christian gets this right. And, and I'm not suggesting in any way that we're perfect here or that Genesis is perfect because I'll just tell you right up front, our church is full of imperfect people uh, with imperfect pastors. But, but here's what I do know. We're, we're making every effort uh, as followers of Jesus and as a church uh, to model our lives and to model our ministry after the person of Jesus, uh, his life, his death and resurrection, and that's what motivates us. And uh, he has made all of the difference in my life and in the lives of so many here today. And if you let him, if you let him, I promise that he can do the same for you in your life as well. All right, and so if you've got your Bible, John chapter 20, I want to look at these verses for just a few minutes with you uh, here this morning, starting in verse 1. Again, let me say the whole foundation of our faith rests on this one man, Jesus. And at the very center, at the very core of what we believe uh, and what we celebrate is a real historical event that we believe took place 2,000 years ago, the resurrection of Jesus, and let me show you why. In John chapter 20, John was a disciple of Jesus, all right? He was very close 
close to Jesus, and we believe that this is a historical account that he has recorded for us so that we can look back and know for certain. And here's what he records about that Easter Sunday. John 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, all right, so that would be Sunday, the day after Sabbath for the Jews. The Sabbath is on Saturday. So on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Okay, so John records that Mary Magdalene has gone back to the tomb. Now, many believe that she was returning to Jesus' corpse to further prepare his body for a permanent burial. But when she gets to the tomb, she finds that the stone has been moved and that the body is missing. Now, why would she be surprised, all right? Well, she expected to find his body. You need to know this. No one expected Jesus to come back from the dead. Sure, he had talked about it, but no one had put those pieces together. And so for these men and for these women, all right, they didn't expect Jesus to come back. It wasn't on anyone's radar. They weren't standing outside the tomb and counting down 10, 9. They just weren't doing these things. As far as they knew, Jesus was crucified on a Friday. His body was placed in the tomb by the end of the day. End of story. It's all over. And so Mary Magdalene goes back to the tomb where Jesus' body had been laid. Now, who is she for just a second? If you've been around Genesis for the last few weeks, uh, we would say this about Mary Magdalene. She's got a powerful my way back story. All right, you could study it for yourself, but we know this about her. We know that her life was radically transformed by Jesus Christ, that before Jesus, she lived this embarrassing, psychotic sort of life that resulted in these uh, frequent uh, chronic seizures, violent seizures, really, but then she met Jesus, and he healed her, and he changed her life, and she, he set her free from the past, and so for, so for Mary, she became a follower of Jesus. She became a disciple of him, and not only did Jesus have high hopes for her, but she certainly had high hopes for him, and she believed that he was everything that he claimed to be, that he indeed was the Messiah, but then you could say that her hopes were shattered on Friday, and Jesus is crucified. Remember, no one expected this. No one expected him to come back, and so like many others, Mary is devastated, and here's why I tell you that. Listen, if you've ever been overwhelmed by grief, if you've ever been overwhelmed by disappointment in your life, you can relate with Mary. We can relate with her, because maybe you've got a Friday in your life, a day or a moment or a season when everything changed for you, when all of your hopes and dreams, you know, maybe were shattered. Maybe it was that you prayed and you prayed for something and then nothing happened. Uh, or maybe for you, maybe uh, your marriage or an important relationship came to an end. Maybe it was a day when somebody took advantage of you or a season where somebody hurt you in your life. And maybe you describe that as a moment just simply as the, the time in my life where God let me down. I think that's a little of what Mary is experiencing here, but what Mary doesn't see is what we sometimes fail to see, and that is that God can take something even so bad, and he can bring good from it. And he's going to redeem a very dark Friday for Mary and for others. He's going to bring good from it. And what he's going to do for us is he's going to show us that even in our difficulties and even our disappointments can provide for us an opportunity to see Jesus in a whole new way, in an even greater way. And he's going to do that for Mary and I want you to know today that he can do that in your life too. Look at verse two. 
Mary's going to leave the tomb now, and it says she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, now I just think this is funny, i got to point this out to you, because again, if John is the author of this account here, I just think it's funny that he writes himself into the story as the one Jesus loved, right? He doesn't, he doesn't use a pronoun or even refer to his name. It's almost as if you can hear him say to the other disciples, uh-huh, me, you know, I'm the one that Jesus loved, just kind of this obnoxious way of including himself in the story here. But anyway, Mary, she, she sees the empty tomb. She goes to find Peter and John. They were smart enough to know that if it could happen to Jesus, it could certainly happen to them too. And so they're in hiding now. But Mary gets to them, and does she yell, he's alive, he's alive? Look at what John records, verse 2, the second half. She says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, Mary, Mary knew Jesus had enemies, and so she realized that these same men that tortured and killed Jesus uh, wouldn't have wanted his tomb to be, become a shrine. They wouldn't have wanted the disciples to steal away his body. And so it wasn't beyond them to steal the body for themselves and maybe desecrate it even further. And so Mary's assuming the worst here, and she, she just explains this to Peter and John. And look at their response, verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. And so they're likely confused and upset. And then the next few verses, and we're not going to look at these together right now. You can read them for yourself. Describe how Peter and John take off for the tomb only to discover that what Mary said was indeed true. And that is that there is no body in the tomb. All right, there was no physical body there. And so eventually Peter and John are going to return to where they were staying. In the meantime, Mary is going to return to the empty tomb for a second visit. Let's pick it up in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And it's almost as if you can hear her crying out, right? Can't you hear her just crying out, God, where are you in all of this? How could you let this happen? Like if Friday wasn't bad enough, now his body is gone and we can't take care of it. And then this next verse, I believe, just answers a long time question about angels and about angels and whether they're male or female. I don't know if you've ever wondered that before yourself. Look at it with me. John writes, as she wept, Mary, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot, and they asked her, woman, why are you crying? So again, to the question, are angels male or female, I think it's obvious right here. Only a male would ask such a question. Woman, why are you crying, right? I mean, no, only a man would be insensitive enough in a moment like this to ask a question like that. little humor for you on Easter Sunday, but... Verse 13 again, she replied to them, but they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. But then Mary hears something going on behind her. And verse 14 says that this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And can you just even imagine that moment? Like, why didn't she recognize Jesus either? We don't know. Uh, maybe it was too dark still, maybe... Uh, maybe Jesus looked different. We don't know why. We don't know for sure. But I like to imagine Jesus grinning at this moment. Because if he certainly anguished over the cross, then I can only imagine he eagerly anticipated his own resurrection and coming back. And so he asked her, verse 15, woman, why are you crying? And that's the question. Come on, Jesus. Like, you ought to know better than to ask that question. But he does it the same. And, and then he says, who is it that you're looking for? And John writes, thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And I'm sure 
that Mary in all of her life never forgot this next moment and these next words and specifically one word because it was the moment that changed everything for Mary and John records it in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. And he called her name and she knew. Now, stop there for just a second. At this point, Mary has a decision to make. Like she has to decide Why is the tomb empty? Like, did anyone take the body? Is this some kind of cruel April Fool's Day joke? Or is Jesus indeed really alive? And in that moment, Mary can only rely on what she knows. She knows that Jesus is dead. All right, she realizes that his body is gone. But now this, the angels and now this man standing there calling her name. And so she has a decision to make. And do you know what? We, and when I say we, I mean all of us, at some point in our lives have to answer this very same question about the person of Jesus, and it's this. Why is the tomb empty? Why is the tomb empty? I got to go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre last May in Jerusalem. It's where they believe the tomb of Jesus to be located. It's empty, right? There's no body in there. No physical evidence. Why is the tomb empty? Uh, The late Chuck Colson was one who had to stand face-to-face with that very question himself. And if you don't know who Chuck Colson was, uh, he was convicted for his involvement in the Watergate scandal as an assistant to President Richard Nixon. And I'd love to read for you just an article that he wrote. It's going to take me a couple of minutes, so hang with me. But these words are just so powerful. He writes this. He says, you know, when I'm challenged on the resurrection... My answer is always that the disciples and 500 others gave eyewitness accounts of seeing Jesus risen from the tomb. But then I'm asked, how do you know they were telling the truth? Like maybe they were perpetuating a hoax. And so my answer to that comes from an unlikely source, my experience in Watergate. Here's what he writes. Watergate involved a conspiracy perpetuated by the closest aides to the president of the United States, the most powerful men in America who were intensely loyal to their president. But one of them, John Dean, turned state's evidence, that is, testified against Nixon, as he put it, to save his own skin. And he did so only two weeks after informing the president about what was really going on. Two weeks. So the cover-up, the lie, could only be held together for two weeks, and then everybody else jumped ship in order to save themselves. Now, The fact is that all those around the president were facing an embarrassment, maybe prison. Nobody's life was at stake. But what about the disciples, he writes? Twelve powerless men, peasants really, were facing not just embarrassment or political disgrace, but beatings, stonings, and execution. Every single one of the disciples insisted to their dying breasts that they had physically seen Jesus' body raised from the dead, And so don't you think that one of those apostles would have cracked at the thought of being beheaded or stoned, that one of them would have made a deal with the authorities, but none did. He says, men will give their lives for something they believe to be true, but they will never give their lives for something they know to be fake. Colson writes, the Watergate cover-up reveals the true nature of humanity that even political zealots at the pinnacle of power will in crunch save their own necks, even at the expense of the ones they profess to serve so loyally, but the apostles could not deny Jesus. 
because they had seen him face to face and they knew he had risen from the dead. And then here's how he closed. No, you can take it from an expert in cover-ups. I've lived through Watergate, that nothing less than a resurrected Christ could have caused those men to maintain to their dying whispers that Jesus is alive and that he is Lord. 2,000 years later, nothing than the power of the risen Christ could inspire Christians around the world to remain faithful despite prison, torture, and death. Jesus is Lord. That's the thrilling message of Easter. It's a historic fact, one convincingly established by the evidence, and one, he writes, that you can bet your life on. And that's what Mary's beginning to realize and so many that have come since, and she's looking face to face now in the eyes of her Savior, the one that had changed her life. And John records that she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And from there, she clings to Jesus, overcome with emotion. Again, she felt like he had abandoned him, but now he is alive. And then from that moment, Jesus is going to give her an assignment. He's going to give her instructions that she is to pass on, that Jesus will pass on to others in the last days of his time here on earth. And here's what he says to her in verse 17. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And briefly, here's what's significant about Jesus' words here. You know, up until this point in history, one could only interact with God by way of a priest or through the temple, but Jesus' death and resurrection ushered in a whole new way of people relating to God. And because of what Jesus accomplished with his life and eventually through the Holy Spirit, here's the truth for you and I today, that if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you've put your hope in him, God's presence lives in you. All right, it's not just something contained even to the walls of a room like this, but when you put your faith in Jesus, God's very presence is in you. And we believe that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that he is seated at the right hand of God today. And what is he up to now? Well, because he's Lord of all, as Revelation 21.5 reminds us, he is busy making all things new. He is busy making all things new, and he will come Again, And look at how Mary's going to respond to this encounter with him. Last verse, verse 18. John writes, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said, that he had said these things to her. Not a missing body, but a resurrected Savior. And the rest, now 2,000 years later, is history. You know, last thing before I close, I want to tell you why I think Mary's testimony in particular is such a big deal. And uh, this is so fascinating to me. Check this out. You know, in ancient societies, the testimony of a woman had no credibility with anyone. Women were marginalized in these ancient societies. And so here's what makes her testimony so interesting. Get this. If you're John and these early Christians and you're trying to get a movement off the ground, let's just go ahead and call it a hoax. Why in the world would you ever make up a story with the primary witness being a woman? But here's the thing. You can find this for yourself. Each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record the testimony of women concerning the resurrection of Jesus. Again, if you're going to make this story up, why would you choose the testimony of a woman named Mary? Unless it's exactly how it happened. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about Jesus 
And 2,000 years later, millions of people around the world are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus today. And 2,000 years later, men and women and students and children have given their lives the same on the account of a historical fact that the tomb of Jesus Christ is empty, and that means everything to us. It changes everything. It means that we have life. It means that we have hope, that we have direction, that we've got a reason to live, that we've got a reason to share the hope of Christ with others. And it certainly means that life is worth living here on this earth. The band is going to come out right now, and uh, they're going to sing a a portion of a song over us here in just a moment. We're going to celebrate life change, new life in Christ through baptisms. But before we do just that, you know, let me just close by saying this. You know, we live in an Easter world, and our hope is an empty tomb and a risen Savior. But man, think about how quickly, like Mary, we get stuck in a Good Friday world. A world full of disappointment and letdown, of hopelessness. And I just want to say this. I'm not sure where your hopelessness comes from today. I'm not sure what the disappointment is for you. Uh, maybe it's been a disappointing marriage. Uh, maybe a disappointing career. Maybe a, a disappointing health report for you or for somebody that you love so dearly. And uh, you're not sure what the future holds right now. Uh, maybe you just say, you know what, I'm disappointed in people, or uh, I'm disappointed in a church or this church, or I've, I've been disappointed by God because you've prayed and you've asked God to do something in your life and you feel like he's been silent. I, I get it. I, I see how quickly life can feel like a Friday. But I'm here to tell you this morning to remind you that Sunday has arrived, that the tomb of Jesus Christ is empty. And maybe as he did for Mary, maybe that's part of what he's doing in your life today is to hear him calling your name, to show you that he's alive. Let me just ask you today, what might it mean for you to take a fresh look at Jesus? And uh, what would be the risk of taking a look one more time into the empty tomb? For some of you, that might just mean a commitment of saying, you know what, I'm gonna keep coming back around this place for a while. I got some questions. I, I hope to maybe figure some of those out. Maybe Genesis is a good place for you to get to know the resurrected Jesus. Our, our hope is in him. Uh, we believe that he can bring life to any marriage. We, can, we believe that he can bring greater purpose to any career. Uh, uh, we believe it's the resurrected Jesus that can meet you in your physical pain and your fears, that he is the one that can meet you in your doubts. Others will let you down. Jesus will never let you down. Others will disappoint you. Jesus will never disappoint you. And he has the potential to impact every life, every dream you've ever had, every hope or plan you've ever made. And it's the resurrected Jesus that can lead us into a relationship with God, the one who hears every word we say and every prayer we ever offer to him. Kids and students, let me just say this to you, that it's the resurrected Jesus that modeled a life of love and purpose and sacrifice and faithfulness and meaning in this world. If you're looking for somebody to build your life upon, model your life after Jesus. Because there is no life that can make a greater difference today and in your schools or on your campus no life greater than Jesus. And if you've never put your trust in him before, anyone and everyone, and you find yourself stuck, lost, or maybe drowning in regret from your own past today, it's the resurrected Jesus that heals wounds. It's the resurrected Jesus that raises us from the dead of our lives at times and rescues us from the past. And he promises life and hope and future to anyone who puts their trust in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who modeled life, who gave his life, and you raised him from the dead, Lord, to defeat death once and for all, to de defeat sin and death. And 
Uh, Father, I thank you for every person here today. And Lord, uh, every person here today has a story and they've got their own explanation, their own circumstances, their own questions. But we know and believe that you are a faithful God. And as you called the name of Mary, that you can call the name of any person here today. And God, I pray that for anyone that is opening their heart to you, to their mind to you right now, I pray that in some powerful way they will experience your presence and their life will never again be the same. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.